quote my star of friendship. Is it disturbing anyone? <laughs> yes, everyone. His star of friendship. Uh, speak now or forever hold your peace. If you have any problems with this, just let us know. Okay, we're good. Hold on. We got some other people typing. I just want to make sure. This is, okay. We get this out in the beginning. We hash out our issues now. All right, let's get let's get started. Three, two, one. We're live. We're good. Well, that was three minutes ago. All right. Salutations, everyone. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley. But of course, if you are a regular around here, you knew that already. Would you? Oh, and this is, of course, the unexpected cosmology. Uh, what you may or may not know is the name of the person uh, right over here on my uh, stage left, and uh, his name is Sean Weima. Hopefully, I pronounced uh, Weima correctly. Yeah. Also known, also known as uh, well, he can correct me. Everyone knows that I uh, I butcher names, not not on purpose. Uh, also known as Walking Bear, and he's going now. The purpose of tonight, uh, Sean, aka Walking Bear, is going to be taking us on a journey, his journey, from being a shaman in the Cree tribe all the way to the Torah, and so I'm gonna. The best thing to do in these kind of situations, instead of diddly daddling myself, is to hand it over to Sean. Uh, before I do hand it over to Sean and start uh, start drilling you with questions, yes. uh, is there is there anything you would like the viewer to know about? Uh, he Sean makes some beautiful rattles, and uh, we sell a few of them here in the store. Is there anything you would like uh, the viewer to know about where you they can find like a website or uh, yeah. products for sale, anything like that? I'll type a link, but it's also the rattlemaker.com. Let me see if I can. All right, the rattlemaker.com. And um, he really does. We have a, a few up for sale in the store. I recommend you guys check it out. They're really beautiful. And, um, and you'll get to know them better in this presentation. So starting out, uh, what I was hoping you could maybe just cover for us to give us some context. Uh, before we go into delve into shamanism and so on and so forth is can you tell us a little bit about yourself your your upbringing and i know we are in the uh 21st century uh council culture all that but uh, i don't even know if i can ask this question anymore but what is your tribe and uh just you know, <laughs> take us through it i won't be offended yeah i won't be offended well i'm of course cree um grew up in canada northern alberta canada in a place called Kong lake um, we call ourselves First Nations people. I'm not sure how many times it's changed, you know, but something was First Peoples at one point, you know, but I really like the term Native American, you know, because when I would travel, people would not know what First Nations is. They would only understand what Native American is. And uh, I mean, when I would travel, they treat me like I was the last, <laughs> last of the Mohican, so to speak, you know, the last, you know, Native American alive. But I digress. Back to uh, you know, my youth. I grew up in a, a tiny little community. It's not really a reservation, as it was called a hamlet back then, um, but it pretty much is a reservation. You know, all the ingredients, you know, all the people. Uh, no running water back then. Uh, I was just on the tail end of like we used to use uh, kerosene lamps. 
it is such a, I mean, if you would think of, say, off-the-grid living, people still did. There was, like, so many animals back then. It was hunting, trapping, fishing. I mean, it was weird because, you know, you would graduate a certain grade in school and they'd have to add that grade on. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, when I graduated from, uh, you know, to high school, they had to actually add a high school for, like, for us that were actually, that's how small it was that we actually graduated into high school, which is weird. So we learned by modules, you know. It was really strange. I never really got to have the high school experience, so to speak, like a city high school experience. You know? But back then, it was very strong culture. The Cree culture was there. I mean, anything that could tell you that you're, you're Native American or Cree was there, the hunting, the trapping. I mean, you had the elders who were very respected individuals in the community. They were pretty much the leaders of the community. I mean, they could, uh, I mean, they would police their own people back then. I mean, Back then we had discipline. I mean, they still gave the strap at school, you know, back when I was growing up. I mean, we were scared, terrified, scared straight, you know. And we, re I mean, we respected our elders a lot. We respected authority. But the big component to this identity was, uh, I guess, there was a very strong spirituality there. The, the shamanism, the we call them medicine men. But we had the sweat lodges, the ceremonies, you know, the, the medicine men who were trying to train you know, apprentices, and there were people who really wanted to be apprentices. But I guess I actually seen, I seen it all go downhill when uh, satellite TV came, because we only had one channel growing up, you know, and it only came in crystal clear, um, you know, during the winter, and that's pretty much got me into acting. Was actually I seen Native Americans on TV for the first time, and I thought, you know, oh, we're allowed on TV, you know, that's an option. But um, when satellite TV came in these Native American kids had this idea of how they should live and how they should be and that this way we're living is not it. You know, like they're missing out on something. So a lot of people would leave and go to the city. And, uh, you know, I, I stayed. I was, uh, you know, we were poor. Where else was I supposed to go? But I guess I was um, fortunate to be, you know, raised by my granny, you know, my mother when she was there. But um, I was immersed in the culture because I would get left behind with my my cousins, my uncles, who were medicine men. So a lot of boys would play, and uh, we'd help out with the, you know, with the ceremonies. And that was just a normal life. That was spirituality. That was, you know, a big, strong component of it was you go to these ceremonies because you're praying to the creator, you know, the father. We say his name is Notui Kichimanato, which is, the, you know, the father, the good God, the father, right? And it was not really seen as pagan back then and I sure didn't even though we still had the uh, you know the missionaries and the churches and the people who would you know go to well, there's Catholic of course there was Christian denominations and that was still going on with the residential schools like my granny was really strict and then I mean really strict she was raised by nuns so she there was a really strong Catholic pull and teaching there where I'd have to get go to church and uh, you know of course, I had to be immersed in the Bible, and I mean, I, I, would, I would look at that book, you know, and I just really so, understand it as back then. Yes. So I'm hearing a, a lot of different things here. I'm hearing that um, a lot of the the people of, you grew up in Canada uh, from the northern parts, Cree tribe. A lot of the youth that you grew up with, they went off to the city. 
it seems like you stayed behind and you had uh, the traditions of the elders, but also you had a lot of Catholicism, a lot of Christianity. Your grandmother, who you were raised with, was raised, uh, you said Catholic, correct, uh, by nuns and so on and so forth. So, and that, that I guess, leads us into uh, your shamanism. And what would you say got you into shamanism or AKA becoming a, what you might say a medicine man? Well, because I was immersed in that life, I got to see a lot. Um, not just the, the, not just the ritual being, say, set up and being taught how to do it, how to do the rocks, how to set up a sweat lodge. I used to watch them build sweat lodges. But it was, you know, for me, it was a chance to not be surrounded by bad habits, you know, like alcoholism, so to speak, or just being poor. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm part of like being at the ceremonies where there'd be a feast and I'd actually get to eat food and I'd actually get to eat and there'd be berries at the end, you know, and I would, oh man, you know, these kids would go just because they had berries at the end for the sweat, you know, give the offering to the rocks. And that was part of it. But I have to say, being immersed in many kinds of ceremonies, which I'll explain tonight, the big fast, the fascination with it was that there was a very strong magical component. And I'm talking back then, the magic was strong. Uh, it was very tangible. You could see it, you could witness it, you can hear it, you know, you could see it. This this wasn't no like how what they what I see today, New Age is doing. Well, let's go to meditative journey, you know, and, and I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. No. If if a spirit wanted to hit hit you, it'll hit you. I mean, it would drag you, it would lift you, it would make you fly. You'd see orbs. A lot of people would be terrified by this. I mean, you take these New Agers who think there's something, and you take them to a ceremony back in the 80s. I, I swear they would have a, a awakening. They, they would find Christ. They would find Messiah, you know, immediately, because they would know there's something real here. And what they're playing with is, it, I mean, it would spook them. So, of course, someone thirsts for power, but the magic was there. And... And I love to witness it back then. As a kid, I love to witness it. But I'll tell you, um, like, aside from the orb you would hear, you would, you would hear a, a rattle shaking itself in the air, right? And you you think it was somebody, right? You would, you would hear, like, the, these feather fans. Like, uh, I'm not sure if I have an eagle wing here. But they would fly by themselves. And, and you would hear, almost like you would hear an eagle flying in that room. It was always pitch black. Some of these ceremonies were pitch black, and that magic would fascinate me as a, as a you know as a, as a young boy. Like you would hear otherworldly voices, you'd hear the spirits talking, whether they're old, elderly voices, animals. And of course, they come out of they would come out not only come out of a conduit like the medium, you know, aka medicine man, or they would come out of an anim like an like out of a skull, you know, a bear or a, or a buffalo, and we would always regard these as we we call I mean, I guess the Cree translation would be we call them the children, like you know the creator's children. Like the spirits are always regarded as, you know, benehai Elohim, you know, so to speak. Like if I were to make a a reference, they were they were worked for the creator directly. Of course, you have the good side, the bad side, but all these ceremonies I went to were good. We pray to the creator only. The first thing you do in any ceremony was you pray to the creator first no matter what you don't I mean and i guess part of the you know i guess how do i put it 
some medicine men start praying to the spirits first once they gain power you know when they get blinded drunk with power they forget the creator is even there you know they go right to the source and i guess it happens today you know with power but i have to tell you one story which really made me believe like not only in the creator but in this way of life it was pitch black and you heard the rattles and the drums and the people chanting and singing in prayer and you had the rocks that were going boom boom on the ground and you could hear like these spirits singing and talking in the background and they used to have really high-pitched voices they're like like almost like turkeys you know it's so weird if i would pronounce it you'd see the orbs flying around and i was like i was always told pray never look just pray you gotta be in here you know you gotta pray but i was like always amazed and i'd watch and i'd look around like wow you know and i hear the feather fan and the you know rattle would come flying over and hit you in the chest and you grab it and start shaking it you know and it's so good you know you feel like you're blessed and you're always told that's a blessing and part of the blessing and being doctored you say doctored is say if someone has a sore back or a neck or having trouble with you know depression or too much thinking or stress you know the the big fan looks huge like the eagle wings would come and they would doctor them doctor your your mind right calm you make you feel better or the doctor your back if you have back problems a lot of the old men would have back problems and it would come gently doctor you right well one day because i wasn't paying attention i think this uh eagle fan came and it started patting me and said, oh good i'm being blessed and then it started going slapping so hit it started hitting me really hard bang bang you know and i was like and i was like whoa whoa <laughs> i was like 12 probably and I thought, okay, this is somebody doing this. Like it was hitting me so hard. And then I went to reach over to the arm and nothing was there. Nothing was there and this thing was still hitting me and I froze for a split second. I froze in fear, but at the same time I was amazed. Like, whoa, I was in awe. And in a split second I thought, this is real. This is real. And I thought, I wanna do this. You know, I wanna be a medicine man. I, you know, it's almost like I was a believer from then. So I grabbed that feather, that fan, it was huge. Must have been like uh, 18 inches. So I grabbed the handle. And you know how when you wrestle with someone, you can feel the wiriness of the muscle, like you're fighting, like a, like almost like you're having like a, you know, arm wrestling. This thing, if it wanted to go left, it would go left, right? There was no muscular pull on this. It was like boom, boom, boom. And I think because I got the point to just focus on prayer, it let go it let itself go in my hand and man i held on to that feather because i did not want it to hit me again and I, the whole time i was like changed you know i didn't really hear anything anymore but at the, i remember at that ceremony it was it was also the time where um this guy named raymond's he passed away um he was a medicine man he was like a what we call a contrary or, or kind of like a clown medicine man you know and i think uh lakota call it hayoka but their spirits would always wrestle with him and drag him and tear his shirt off and you know uh, and he'd giggle and laugh and he'd like be wrestling with them but if you sat near him he would grab you like just to uh you know like like help you know he would, he would drag you along with him and nobody wanted to sit near him but they'd always sit me by him so i'd always get the brunt of that pulling and he'd be but one day i actually felt a hand on me like it was so weird like i mean you knew he's wrestling with someone but i remember at that same ceremony um he was drumming it was his turn to drum and they would always steal a stick and he'd like fight for it and you'd hear him try to sing and the drum would like uh 
like he, you know he's fumbling he can't get the beat you know he wants to do a heartbeat or like the beat of the drum is always a heartbeat you know like fast heartbeat slow but it represents the you know the mother the womb the when a child's in the womb you know what you hear and that's why the, the heartbeat of the drum calms the baby when you play it by them so he was playing and one day or what i say one evening he started to fly around that circle while he was drumming and you can hear him because he go like you hear him go closer and you hear him singing far i was like so like that's how much i want to say power but that's how active it used to be and, that, and the, these ceremonies would change anyone's mind you think it's a you think it's an act and i do agree a lot of medicine men put on these shows and they'll shake a rattle that lights up you know even though our ceremonies the rattles did light up when you shook it it's not because they had flint or anything in there it's sparking they're just there's a spirit in there you know but um it just was active and we always call it active and that's i mean anyone who is there in those days you're used to it but people who were outsiders would come and they would be terrified terrified but yeah that's part of what i guess those kind of ceremonies and witnessing this kind of magic put me on that path of fascination but eventually it became to this is how i'm supposed to worship and this is how i'm supposed to pray to the creator and i think i'm meant to be on this path just based on the different visions i've had as a, as a child growing up i believe i was supposed to be on this path but here's the kicker most of my visions i'll say at least 80 percent of them were biblical when i was too young to understand any concept in the bible when i was too young to even read the bible i mean if anything when i was young because of my visions i started to read the different books like the book of enoch and i was always fascinated and told no that's not real that's not a real book but i was like wow you know how could it not be i witnessed this type of magic you know type of beings different spirits yeah so you would you'd mentioned the uh the terrified outsiders right like you said a few times there that if you if if anybody were to go to this and that would put like the fear of yah into them or whatever like that you know that this spiritual world is real right how yes now not to get sidetracked but from our conversation and you know i have a list of you know, questions to get to you here uh but how would an outsider even be allowed into that like if somebody were just you know coming and are they not of the when you say an outsider are they not of the tribe are they just a normal random person it should be both it could be okay i'll have to explain a lot of tribes are very closed off and they don't allow anybody to come not even another tribe member from another tribe from another place they're just very strict and i, and I don't enjoy those types of ceremonies when you have people like that because they will really i mean if you do something wrong even laugh they will like chastise you till you're like this small you know there's some people that are strict like that but then other tribes let outsiders come because it's it depends who teaches you and who passes along what to you what ritual what ceremony what are the rules that come with this did you have a dream where you can allow someone there or did you have a vision that says nobody is ever allowed to learn this or that i mean there's no real written rule that you can't teach somebody like say you know magic spell or say put some kind of medicine together because there's different types of medicines you know there's of course there's chants there's prayers there's fasting there's uh 
actual herbal medicines you put together. Some are actual, med you know, medicinal concoctions, and some are, uh, you know, some are actual magic that you put together with, you know, like you put like an effigy or you just, there's so many very specific rituals and some that I've actually dreamt of that I was given, you know, growing up. But we have three types of medicine, you know, there's a, of course, there's earth, you know, or, you know, the water, you know, fire, but I mean, medicine of the earth, of course, is plants, the roots and such. But the thing is, you can take that root, boil it, then you'll have water, medicine, water. You could take a leaf of that same plant, burn it, then it becomes smoke, medicine of the air. You know, as they say, you know, we have to smudge a space, you know, what you put into it, you know, your words, is it good words, is it prayer? Because we believe in that. And that's why you smudge an area with that smoke. The smoke gets everywhere, whether it's sage or sweetgrass, you know, and they burn incense. I'm pretty sure they burn incense in these temples, like the strange fire incident, right? Right, with Ahiran sons, right? Same thing. There's holy things you burn. Some things you just don't burn, you know, different types of medicines. Um, what is the question? Well, that, that that was really fascinating, just the very idea of, of burning medicine, because, yes. you know, material uh, objects can, they become energy. Like even when you're, obviously, when you burn wood, the wood doesn't necessarily cease to exist. It becomes energy, right? Up in, so I, I think that that's a fascinating idea of, of burning medicine. Um, well, yeah, you breathe it in, right? You breathe that now, smoke into your nose, your mind. Yep. Now, now I don't, you might address this later, and so I don't want to. We don't need to delve into it now. But for those of you paying attention, uh, Sean did mention two types, and we were Sean and I were talking about this a few weeks back, and uh, basically two types of medicine men here, uh, or shaman is shamans, and. This should be of interest to all of you who are looking at the Native Americans from a uh, Lost Tribes of Israel perspective. And so you have one type who they pray to the, the Father Spirit, the Creator, and then that the, the spiritual world is, is secondary to that. And then there are those that can, I think, Sean, you might, you might agree that they ditch the Father Spirit, the, uh, the Creator, and they go straight for the spirits themselves. And so you're looking at two different types of things here. Now, before we went live, we were talking about the different mystery religions all around the earth. Uh, I had mentioned, you know, Egypt and Greece and Babylon and the Druids and, of course, the, the uh, North American and the things we see in there. Um, so, and you covered a little bit about the, of this, but maybe you could uh, address uh, what is involved in shamanism, uh, ritual ceremonies, uh, a ritual ceremony, and of course, rites of passage. Well, first, um, I guess those who join or those who want to learn already have something in their heart that has drawn them to it, you know? And, and almost how you look at a person, like in your circle of friends, you know, who's has a good heart, you know, who truly loves the creator you know the humble you know you know the meek but you also know the people you'd never trust with power you know and some people you just don't know who they are until they become powerful you know same thing goes with medicine man you always have something in your heart what draws you to it in the first place you know and because it's i'll say a real power those who are already you know, have a have a darkness here. That's what it'll feed on, and eventually they're gonna leave the good path 
entirely and start practicing, you know, the bad. I mean, the things that tempt people the most, I say, of course, is money, power, um, probably, you know, woman, I mean, if you're, you know, medicine men, but um, those kind of power corrupts. And not only just power, but it's like, you always want to test people. Like, even when I became, you know, that I guess on that path, people want to test me all the time. And this is with things like their magic, their medicine, you know. What makes a uh, medicine man good? Well, they already know what they want to. Like, it's a path of humility, and, and you have to give up so much. You love the creator, right? We say the father, Nochtole, you know, Kuchimanator is a good God. And you know that you have to be humble and you have to keep this space good, even your thoughts, you know. We fast a lot, you know. Like, uh, that's part of sacrifice and showing the creator that you love him, that you're willing to sacrifice. You go into the, the woods either by yourself. Like, I've gone by myself many times. I've had, oh man, it was, like, I can tell you about these experiences. But, or you go with a group and you all sleep in your separate camps. Then you have ceremony during the day, but you're always in prayer and you're always wanting to be, you know, humble. You want you want to live in humility and you and there's a an idea of a righteous walk and how you're supposed to be. Like there's the absence of the laws of the Torah, which is a big difference there. But I guess you run on common sense and who your role models are, you know. Who who raised you and who teaches you? What did you learn? And if you're corruptible, because these things will test you, just like in life. Once you have power, these things will test you. And I mean, this is real, tangible things. You can hurt people with it, or you can heal people with it. You can find something. I mean, these medicine men that will will look at you, and they'll know. They'll be told somehow through some source that you're ailing from a certain sickness or disease or something, and then they'll be given the medicine, a song, or you know, the concoction of what's going to treat it. You know, and these things are real. So think of the contrary. What are these power seekers after? You know, they just want to be the, you know, big in the community. They want people to come to them and furnish them with gifts and money. Like the medicine back home, medicine men back home will shun money. They, no, 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 no. Just, just, you know, bring food, help out. And they would just be so against it. Then there's some tribes who think, okay, well, money is the currency of today. I mean, you're not, I mean, what is the difference between giving us buffalo meat and a, you know, hide? You know, that was currency also back then. So I guess some people are not scared of paper money, right? Like the Navajo, man. I shouldn't say, <laughs> but I've been to some Navajo medicine that wanted money, blankets, food, you know what I mean? Like, and that was accepted, you know, it, it, and it's hard to not, like, you can demonize it all you want, but it's, I mean, how far do you have to go before you become a prosperity church? You know what I mean, so to speak. Before you become a Joel Osteen, I'm sure you can say that. <laughs> but how, like, how far do you have to go? Then you you can become a humble, humble servant, and you know, be like John and just you know, wear whatever you have. You have two coats, you give one. You know, there's a definite righteous path, but still, you cannot, you cannot separate. The magical world with this, and that's what I had. I had a problem with that, you know. I mean, but imagine this: people are scared when they see this real magic, when they see these 
beings. They hear them talking. They see them. But don't you think people would be just as fearful if they seen the magic of the heavens, a, a spiritual being from the heavens come? You know, how they look, how they appear. There's also this feeling you get that's unmistakable. When a spiritual being comes in your presence, you feel this fear and this thing in your chest. Like you feel this fearfulness. And there's no getting around it. The medicine men say, you just got to be brave. And, and that is just how they make us feel because we're just human beings. Like their power, they come in this powerful form, you know, that emits power. It is power, has an aura. And you just feel it on your chest and you just feel scared. Like, you know how you can detect a ghost in the room? So, you know, that is the exact thing, but more intense. Well, in, in terms of fear, and you, you've covered quite a few things here. One is you were talking about the the path of righteousness. And yeah. you're comparing how within the world of shamanism and the medicine men, you're seeing very similar trends to what you see in the church. And you talked about like a prosperity gospel, that kind of stuff. And it, it, it that's kind of interesting because this is something that uh, Paul talks about in Romans. I think it's, uh, was a chapter two and three where he says that, um, that men are a torrent to themselves. It, I might be misquoting this any, you know, look at, you know, chapter verse, but, that that all these different cultures they you know they 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 there's a there's a sense of morality right that everyone can choose to follow so you know it doesn't it doesn't matter if you come from the church or not you see the same trends of corruption versus those who uh want to live a life that is more serving of other people more loving but i want to touch on we're going to talk more about the spiritual realm tonight of course and you talk about fear and did, did you ever have, and we could say this for later, you don't even have to uh, answer this now. I would be interested to hear um, if there was ever uh, like forest creatures or, you know, different types of spirits that you were around where you didn't feel, feel fear. Or was it just a general sense of, I feel fear? Like it, it and, and when we talk about fear, there's, there's two types of fear. Now, there, I should point out that there are two prime emotions. There is love and fear, right? Fear is the absence of love. And uh, uh, John says, Jokinen says this in First John, he says, you know, uh, fear is love imperfected. If you, if you have fear, that means you're not loving. Um, but there is the fear of Yah, right? There is like, you know, the idea of if I were in the presence of the Most High, I'm going to feel fear. I'm going to be on my face like a wet spaghetti noodle, you know, unable to move. Maybe I can move. I don't know. Uh, but you're going to have that fear. Um, and I would be interested to, to um, hear that contrast. Um, okay. But also, um, you know, you talk about the medicine men. Can anybody become a medicine man? Like, how did how did you become a medicine man versus, say, anybody else? Okay, let's cover the first. Um, you're talking about, of course, John, or what he, or what he speaks of, but also uh, I was going to mention, like, even Abraham was rich, and he was made to be rich so he could focus on the wisdom, right? Focus on spreading uh, the gospel. Focus on uh, his wealth was made for the poor, almost like uh, the Nasserim, where your, your wealth will witness against you. You know what I mean? There's a reason to have wealth. And I think I'm yet to meet that medicine man that is like Abraham, you know? That's why we're suffered a lot. Maybe we're supposed to be. Maybe it's best to be in that state. 
know, suffered. I mean, I'm not sure how many people would uh, really uh, be like Abraham, you know, once given money. I think money is a distraction sometimes in this land of wealth, in this, this walk, which is what leads us to the next question. Can anyone become a medicine man? Um, yes and no. Some people have that discipline, but also the heart for it. You know, a lot of people come from who are not Native American will want to, and they have the heart for it, but they're just not welcomed. But I've seen some of the most powerful, I'll say, I can't really say powerful. I don't want to attribute too much to them, but some of the most well-respected medicine men were not Native American men. In fact, one of the ones that helped me when I was going through a lot of depression when I was like in my 20s was a man named Joe Couture. And he had this really meekness, this humility to him, but he had this strength in him, like strength of wisdom and words, you know, that, and you'd feel the, the things come, you know, like the, the, I won't say power, but you feel the energy come and, and you'd feel calm and at ease. And he was, and he was accepted by the Native American, you know, you know, my tribe, the Cree. It's a matter of what you sacrifice. And if you have a heart for the creator, I'll say, how much do you fast? Do you, are you willing to do the four days, the seven days, you know? To not, you know, we do wet fast and dry fast, but I grew up doing dry fast with no food or water for four days or more, right? And, and you really suffer yourself, you no books, nothing, just you, you know, your clothes, whatever you took, your blanket. I remember one year I took just a blanket, a tarp, and you know, I had the, the you know, my, my pipe and a pipe bag, you know, my medicines. And man, and I remember I was uh, doing my regular fast four days because I was, I was suffering that time, you know, with humility. And I was there for four days, four nights. And I remember looking up at the moon. I just had a tarp and a sleeping bag. And uh, I watched it at the moon. And uh, I seen the stars. There was always like so many stars back home. And I remember hearing the wolves, you know, signaling, like, oh, Lord, it's this guy here. And then I seen the clouds coming like this. And that's the last I seen of the sky for those four days. It rained on me. It hailed on me. It snowed on me. I couldn't even light a fire. I was soaking wet. And I remember I wanted to give up so many times. And I had so many weird experiences on that fast. Like I heard trees fall down beside me. There's nothing there. I, big things would run like we say the Maginos, like the, the Sasquatch, I guess you say, would come. Then I'd hear the little people, the dwarves, and they'd be talking in their little childlike voices. And I'd always think, oh, wow, my cousins are coming to visit me because I recognize other voices. Like I had a cousins who had those high voices. And it was always me by myself. Now, I remember, and this is a display I talk about. You go through the fear, loneliness, hunger, right? You go through many tests, you know, and this is for the creator, for whatever you're praying for. You know, it, it has to come from a place of sincerity. I mean, I've never known anyone who does that for power because I've always done it, you know, like I've always, I guess I had a family as a young man, so I uh, always wanted to do better, you know, that if I get blessed, then... I can provide if I get blessed and I can, you know, always have a blessed life. And that's why I, I would go for these reasons, you know, for my mother also who was alive back then. And I remember on that fast, I heard uh, it was like pitch black. It was cold and there was frost. It was frost on my tarp, you know. And I heard a, a knock on a tree three times. It was loud and clear. And then I seen the clouds come apart again and I seen the moon for the first time in the sky and I was so grateful you know so relieved 
and I knew I can't leave. It's the fourth day. I can't leave until I hear the morning birds sing. So I waited and waited, and I heard the birds singing, and I packed up and left. I remember I went walking about two miles until I got picked up. And I remember the medicine man already had the rocks going, the sweat lodge rocks, and he's sitting there smoking, and he goes, and so how was it? And I said, oh, man, it rained, it snowed, it hailed. It was cold. I couldn't even make a fire. My matches were wet. Then he started laughing, and he said, well, you know, it was nice and beautiful here. That place is only like 10 miles away. It was so weird, you know. So maybe spiritually I was made to suffer that, you know, which is strange. It's a place called Looking Glass, Mappamoods. Very powerful place for, you know, generations of people who fast there. Well, you're teasing me with all sorts of things you're throwing out there. Like you're saying these Sasquatch people approached you. And uh, yeah. I'd like to hear more about that. Um, and uh, you talk about the little people. And uh, so, that, by the way, this is, I, I know that there are the little people all over the earth. Um, the, I, this is going to sound like the most cliche thing I could say imaginable. But I, I was walking through the woods in, in Ireland. It was actually this ancient, like, uh, garden. And I had, like, this, this distinct feeling like the little people were there watching me. I could just feel it. Like it, like I knew they were there. Uh, but this is the first time I've ever heard about the little people <laughs> in the uh, North American region. So uh, maybe I'm just behind on this. But anyways, this, this leads into my next question. And you've already given some. But uh, I would be interesting to, uh, interested to hear anything that you have witnessed that was uh, on the paranormal or something you can't even explain. Uh, scale some um, of your experiences with this. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Let's, uh, you mentioned something about the fear. The fear, oh, I just want to touch back on that first. The fear is something that they just, I, the way I've just heard it described is because they're in spirit form, raw spirit form, whatever they're granted in that realm, whatever power they emanate, maybe it is the creator, maybe it's not. I mean, but you just feel that fear. Like it's like it commands respect, instant respect. Not a fear like, oh, oh my, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna get hurt. No, it's like you feel it in your chest, but you can endure it through bravery, you know? You can endure it through bravery. And some, you just feel the maliciousness. You just feel the evil. You feel the fear, but you just feel like they wanna hurt you. And I've had many spiritual battles where I, I use prayer and then like I felt like it, they wanted to hurt me and then they would just leave, you know? I remember I lived in this apartment basement and, I, and there was this one room that you'd always feel that force in there. And I kept that room closed. I never really slept in there. And I remember uh, I kept on, it kept on coming back. I would pray. It would come back. And I remember one day I went and like my, my landlord lived upstairs and they were, um, I'm not sure what they were. I would want to say, well, they were Indian and the other Indian, you know, and uh, they would always have these weird ceremonies with ancestors and incense and sit in these circles in there. And I always pondered, I wondered if they had something to do with that entity always coming down all the time. But uh, that's another story. Yeah, these little peoples, right? It's well known in many Native American tribes and communities that there are these beings interacted with us. And it wasn't very long uh, ago that uh, I would say my cousins, who was a medicine man, 
would get taught by this old man. So about two generations, I would say, you know, maybe three. He had stories of wrestling with them. Now there's two types. There's the little tiny ones that are about this tall, like I say about less than 12 inches. And there's the ones that are like dwarves, like you'd see on like Lord of the Rings and such. Now, the ones from like the dwarf ones, they would wrestle with and they would interact with the people and they loved shiny things, so to speak, like metals. And they would always trade their magic and things that they had for, uh, you know, different things. And they would wrestle. And they used to be really strong, I heard. And I remember my cousin telling me a story where this old man uh, was, was wrestling with one, like for like they were having bets and no one could throw him down. So he kept on kicking his legs out from under him and, and tripping him. And he was getting mad and mad. And that was the only way to beat them was keep their legs out under from under them. But they really fit the description of what you would see in Lord of the Rings. And I remember I seen one. Uh, we were at this place called uh, Otter Lake. And we were doing a fast. Now, that was an interesting experience. My uh, cousin was looking at the lake. And he said, look, look. And I see this little canoe and a little tiny thing in it, right? And he's, look, he's got a stone canoe. They have stone canoes. And I said, well, how does it float? Oh, they're magic, he said. So sure enough, I seen him. And then uh, I guess he might have spotted us there. And he went, boom, right under, right under the water, right in front of us. And we were like amazed. But he was like one of the dwarf types. The other type are the little ones. They're like a small. And they live in little caves. There is this actual place, which is the cultural grounds in Calling Lake. And there's actually little caves in there. And that's where they said they would live. And people would respect that area and not go near there. I believe a lot of these beings long since moved somehow. There was a point where you just didn't see them anymore. You would see the, uh, like, Sasquatch, different types of Sasquatch. I remember when Fast I was on, everybody was sleeping, right? And uh, I got up, and then these, almost like a family, I'll say. Mossy fur, I mean, this guy must have been 10 feet tall. And I assume that's got to be the father. And it's, you know, a shorter one by eight feet. And they had a little tiny, tiny one. And they had mossy fur. And it was brown with brown little streaks in it. And they just came walking. And they didn't even care I was there. Even, I mean, because we were fasting, there used to be a relationship we had with them. We call them the big men, right? Sometimes they would come to the ceremony. And just walk, casually walk by me, right, right by. And I was trying to wake them up. I was trying to wake the medicine men up. Look, 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 guys. And no one would wake up. They woke up as soon as they left. And that's weird because in my culture, like in, in the spirituality, I say, when you get put to sleep, it's for a reason. When you get really sleepy for no reason, it's because they're trying to put you to sleep, either to doctor you or give you a vision. So sometimes you're meant to see something. And uh, sometimes you're like others are not. So they keep them asleep. Almost like, a, I'm not say sleep paralysis, but it's almost like a, a magical experience. In fact, that one place I'm talking about was called Looking Glass. No, no, that was from Jack Pines. This place is uh, Jack Pines. It's a forested area circular floors and in the top of it's a hill and there's like old sweat lodges that people build over the years and it must be about i don't know 50 maybe 100 feet across but uh i remember i had a vision there like i'm not a vision about that place i was uh it was a sleep paralysis vision it wasn't a good one but i was there there was a by fire there was a campfire people were sleeping around me and the fire illuminated the forest, like it's the forest, the outline of the forest. And I heard of this growling, growling, and these things, creatures walking on their all fours, but you could tell they're humanoid, were just black and growling and then uh, getting closer. And I was like trying to wake these guys up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And there must have been hundreds of them. So much that 
the grass that was illuminated by fire turned black. And then one grabbed my leg, right? And I remember I screamed. I woke up out of my dream and I was like, I was in a sleep, like a sleep paralysis. And I remember seeing something at the door kind of laughing, you know, like that was a very spooky, scary dream. And I remember uh, I never forgot that dream. And I remember going to the Jack Pines for the very first time for fasting. Uh, that's where my dream took place, which was interesting. So, okay, so I'm still. What was the when was the last time? Because you you gave a very yeah. common testimony in terms of you saying that there's less and less of them, and from what I've read from different spiritualist sources, and um, there was the for, for example, uh, there was like the. The, the fairy society or something like that that was really popular at the turn of the last century during Victorian times. And there was kind of this resurgence of, of fairy research, you know, the little people, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the proponents of it, they would say how they, you know, when they were children versus old age, that there was a huge decrease. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then every generation seems to say the same thing, that there's less and less and less of them. Uh, being spotted and you know it, it could be the deforestation you know population move you know surging it could be something as simple and I mean I don't need to school you in this I mean you know you, you're much more knowledgeable than I am but it could be something as simple as um, maybe like a, a resources that they they have it may not be physical things but maybe something spiritual that gets used up and they have to go somewhere else who knows what's going on uh, but when was the last time that you had the encounter with the the mossy, you know, what you call this, what we would call the Sasquatch? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there is actually a disappearance. I think these things that are disappearing when uh, the generations before us and their mindsets and their respect for them started to disappear. I mean, it became where you had a friendship with them to a point where you wanted to make money and put them in a zoo or something or, or you know i think that's when they became endangered through that new mindset there, there was less magic less people who were respectful or, or even spiritual in, in, in a way it's when the western mindset came they started to disappear and the uh, the, the sasquatch i guess so to speak are seen as very magical creatures i mean there's so many spottings of them like they're shapeshifters that's why no one ever sees them they have the ability to turn into trees, which I've seen before, where I remember I seen this, this old man, it was a scary road back then. It must've been about, a, like about, I'll say half a mile, but it was like from a, like the store had one street light and then there was that stretch to the next one. And it was very spooky. Cause it, I mean, this is like in, the, like in the old days, it was like pitch black when it was black. When it was dark, it's dark. Here, you'll never see true darkness unless you blindfold yourself, you know? But that's the type of darkness there used to be back then. You know, unless there's a full moon, you're lucky if you have a full moon. Because we used to travel a lot. Like it was like nothing, it was nothing for a, a young man or a young boy to like want to go visit his friends and then travel by night. It was always safe, right? And I remember this one time this tree was shaking on the side of the road and I stopped my, I was on a bike and I looked at it and it went from a tree into a, this dark figure. And it must have been like, I'll say like good nine or 10 feet. And I'm, I looked at it like what is it gonna do like i was too young to really i wasn't really studying shamanism back then this would be my first experience with one it, it started to run towards me 
And I said, hell no. You know, I, I went riding like adrenaline. I rode my bike like nonstop, nonstop. And I could feel it and hear it behind me running, getting closer and closer until the car, this car came. And the headlights illuminated the outline of it. It was running. It was this big black, like Sasquatch figure. And I was, I was like, the head, you know, the street light was coming. And that thing turned and went into the forest. And I went past that street light. And that car passed me. And I did not stop going to look up to my friends, man. That's how much adrenaline I had, how much fear I had. There's many stories that I'm turning into trees, like this one. Uh, this one uh, was a cousin. He was walking down the, like the same thing, dark. He it was probably twilight. He see this man like in a distance walk across the road, then fall into the ditch. And he went running to see if he was okay. And all he seen in there was this log, like literally a log. So these things are known to be shapeshifters and. Because we don't have that same relationship with them we had before, it's it's either they don't come or you build trust with them, you know? You just build a certain trust. I I love the fact that you just went there. And by the way, I, you're the first person I've spoken to, you know, one-on-one -on -one that has talked about the Sasquatches becoming trees. And yeah. I, I absolutely love this. I, I uh, I just published a paper today. I I had no idea that you were going to talk about the Sasquatch issue. Uh, just so by bizarre coincidence, I published a paper today called uh, "The Sasquatch and Johnny," and it's a guy I interviewed, and he has had multiple uh, because I, this really fasc fascinates me. I've never seen a Sasquatch. Uh, they fascinate me. I would love to be able to encounter one, uh, and he encountered multiple, including a mother and a baby and, you know, different things like that out in the woods, out in uh, Washington and Oregon State. And on, on one of his first, and I talked to him about this, and he believed that they were just gorillas. That's all. He believed that they were, you know, they looked just like he said, like the Patterson-Gimley film, but he believed that these were physical creatures, that there were no way associated with anything spiritual. And I was, you know, it, I had the more spiritual outlook. And in his first encounter, he literally says, and it's in there, he literally says he sees a mossy tree stump. And then in the corner of his eye, he sees the tree stump grow legs, grow up, uh, stand up and start walking. He turns around, it's a full-fledged Sasquatch. And I'm, I'm, I try to talk to him about this, but you know, in his, I, I'm being polite to the guy, the guy's a very nice guy, but there was you know, some of that cognitive dissonance there. He saw a tree stump, but that goes beyond his worldview. So they can't possibly be trees because it's just, his, his mindset says they can't. And I find this fascinating because there are, when I'm out in nature, I've had encounters. I've talked to my group about this, right? I sometimes like searching trees. I'm just like, there's something about there. There's something, there's something like, I feel like vibrations or energy or something coming from this, you know? And I've often wondered about that. So now you can, uh, you, I'm sure you have tons of stories to share. They're, they're all fascinating. And as they come to you, feel free to just jump in. But what I do want to know, and I, I, you know, what happens is, is that the crowd can start getting antsy if they're like, where is this going? You know, is, can, I would be interested to hear some of your visions that are uh, biblical in nature versus non-biblical in nature. And, you know, start looking at that, that worldview, that contrast of, you know, how you can explain some of the stuff using the Bible. Yeah. I have to tell you one story, though, about this little, the dwarf, this dwarf. 
People, I used to see them all the time. So they used to call me Sean Leprechaun, you know, Sean, Sean Leprechaun. <laughs> I used to be called a liar. I used, to, I used to have these stories, right? I just seen this thing, you know, and our ghost, I'd see a ghost. And then my, of course, my granny and aunt would be like, yeah, dude, you're, because I would scare them. They would like not want to hear it at all and call me a liar and tell me to, you know, be quiet, you know, and they go read, you know, go read the Bible or something, something weird like that. But this happened in, in like just in the outskirts of this city. I must have been about, I'll say, uh, six or seven back then same same kind of era where you children could just run out and then come back at night you know you were safe but i remember i seen this uh i guess we'll say a leper i thought it was a leprechaun you know i didn't know anything about these little people back then but um i remember i was like, oh wow and i went running towards it and it must it was like so tiny but i was tiny too so and i remember it was doing something it was like working on something and it didn't want anything to do with me, but I was kept bugging it, like, "Hey, are you a leprechaun?" I said, "Are you a leprechaun?" And he said, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm a leprechaun." And then I said, "Do you have a pot of gold?" And there just happened to be a rainbow, right? There was a rainbow there. And I said, "Yeah." Is it at the end of the rainbow? And he said, "Yeah, it is. Go." So I went. I remember I was just a young boy. I followed that rainbow for like miles and miles and miles, hoping to get that pot of gold. Like I want to bring it home to my mother. Like we were poor, right? Let's go. Like, oh man, I want to be rich. I remember uh, that rainbow disappeared and I was in some industrial area I'd never been to before. And I was so mad at that leprechaun and it lied to me and I was so mad. I was so upset I didn't get to the end of the rainbow in time. But yeah, that's my little person story. Well, you figure you figure these, even these spiritual creatures are, they probably get, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm a leprechaun kid. You know, it's yeah. like, they probably get sick. Yeah, yeah, my pot of gold's over there. Yeah, just go run over there. You go follow the, the rainbow. They probably get, you know, I'm sure they get sick of all the same stuff as we do. It's like community, right? You must know, like, oh boy, those are the ones from overseas. Those are the little people from Ireland, right? They must know, right? They must know of each other, you know? Which is interesting to even think of. Yeah, but that, well, that's a that's a whole another really fascinating concept of how you see the because I talk about like the different mystery schools and stuff and these mysteries coming from heaven that all these different uh, cultures are kind of packaging and trying to hold a, a monopoly on this you know spiritual reality and so what you see is all these you, you see these common themes you see the little people you see the the um, you know the, the dwarfs as you say and uh, all these different spirits, but they all seem to adapt. Either, either mm -hmm. it might be the opposite way, actually, because when you look at uh, the seventy nations that Yahuwah planted after Babel, and He put seventy Elohim over them, I often wonder if it's the opposite. If the people ad uh, adapted to the Elohim and to the the spiritual entities over them versus the other way, it wasn't that the spirits um adapted to the people does that make sense i often wonder about well, that well I, so, I imagine it being yeah i imagine it being more of like a middle earth type of world back then because how could we have say you know old people or say elder like my grandmother talking about the little people not to go near them or you know what to do if you encounter a sasquatch or i mean there were just used to be things that used to exist back then that just aren't talked about now and never will be i mean a lot of the young people don't even want anything to do with, say, spirituality, let alone the Torah. You know, I mean, like even even my people are like, okay, no, the you know the Bible's made up; it's like just made up, and then they don't really believe in the Messiah, which is what was really hard for me to really believe in the Messiah. Like, who is this man? I'm supposed to believe him. I'm supposed to have faith. 
you know, but when I had a dream about him, it really got my wheels turning, you know. Like you said, what kind of biblical visions I had now. I had many biblical type encounters, like uh, like the one I tell in the vision story. Um, one day, I mean, one day, one of the visions that was very powerful that must have been when I was 12 or 14, between that time period, I had a lot of encounters. I found myself in this cave. Like, it was like more than a cave. Think of a, like the Parthenon or something dug out of a, of a cave. And on the side I'm on, there's like these little, these little balconies carved out. And, and behind me was like a, like a walkway. Like, of course, there must have been cave ways to go up and down. But we were at the very top. And beside me was this man. And I'm pretty sure that was the Messiah. Just how you look at a brown beard. And he was talking to me, but but he was also talking to me without talking, you know, if that makes sense. And he was dressed in like this olive, like a tunic. It was brown. It was dark. It was really dark colored. He didn't stand out there. He had this like kind of a, uh, a weird sash belt. And I remember like he was showing me what was below us. And I remember touching the stone. It was really smooth, like almost like smooth, but not really jagged, but it was bumpy. Almost like this rock was... I don't know how they made it, but it was like smooth almost. Not like a polished stone, but it was kind of rough at the same time. And uh, below, I could tell I must have been in Sheol. Like, I didn't know that back then. I just put all the stuff together while studying the Torah. That below me, like, if I'll describe it. Over here was this lake of fire, like lava, you know, with this rocky shore. It was dark. and there's this lake, almost like that's like two feeding into it. And on this rocky shore, there's a big cave. It must have been like 20 feet tall entrance with really blackness that went to nowhere. And over here was really nothing except the stained glass panel that kept lighting up and, and emitting this tone. Like it's this really specific tone. It was stained glass. It was like green and red and dark almost. Now, in this pit were people they were moaning and like you could tell they were in pain it was just terrifying to me it just you could see them they were in the fire and they were their skin was burning off their flesh and they would grow back again and it would turn white and then grow back and they were pulling each other back down you could hear them yes you know like you can hear their voices woman man and it was something out of a painting almost you know like I'm too young to even formulate this kind of stuff back then, you know, I was a boy. Now, on the shore were these little tiny, like, I'm not sure what to call them, you know, they're like little one to two foot creatures with these very fine pitchforks. Some were three, some were two, some were just long like toothpicks, but they're like metallic, like titanium. And they would stab the people that were trying to climb up out of this lake, this lava, and they were laughing at the same time, like, They'd stab them and then start laughing. And there must have been about a hundred of them on the shore. They almost look like little imps or little devils. The best word I can describe them as. Do you recall and, them having? Do you recall them having wings or tails? I think some of them did have these little tails, right? Some of them did, and they had these pointy ears. Some of them, right? They were. Uh, they had a language too, and they scurried like rats. Because I remember there were some 
look, they like some started build up behind us and were, were staring at us, right? And I remember the Messiah had kind of a glow to him, like a very low glow, you know, we'll call it incognito, kind of a glow at that point. Now, out of the front of the cave in front of me, all of a sudden you heard like something was coming and it was big. It was his head was as tall as that entrance of the cave. Now, back then, this must have been in the 80s, before I can even imagine this, this creature had a flaming sword of fire, it had a face with a skull and these horns, and it looked like this big warrior thing. When I watched the movie, first it came out the, the, show, um, the game Diablo, and that thing on the cover had the face of it. Now, when I watched Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf fights that thing, that demon, the none shall pass, that was the exact creature I saw, complete with that face, same with the face on the Diablo game cover. I'm not sure who it was, but in my mind, in my heart, I thought it was Apollyon, you know, like, that's who I, I thought it was, you know, based on, you know, scripture. Now, it had a whip of fire. And uh, it was kind of overseeing this place. I'm not sure where it came because it just seemed like this this cave thing had really no entrance or no exit to it at all. Like it came out of nowhere, you know, the blackness of the cave. That's all it came from. Now, these scurrying creatures started to build up behind us. And they were like speaking their language, whatever they're speaking. And they were building up, building up to the point that they were on the walls behind us because you can dimly see them. They were building up and getting closer. And I was getting really terrified. And I remember... Um, the Messiah beside me, he knew I was getting scared. He looked and he seen it and he all of a sudden he said something to them, like a word. And then he he just started to glow really bright. And they all scurried like they were terrified and the, that little section was empty. But that, what he did there, it, it got the attention of that thing, that being, you know, whatever that is. And he looked at us and he looked at me and grinned and he took his whip and he went, whipped it right and i could see that tail end coming from my face and then we were gone next thing you know we're coming down in this cloud and he was now dressed in white in a golden sash he was and he had a the beard was the same and he was looking you know and he was kind of talking to me and uh i remember i was like we are in a cloud i was thinking huh you know, we were in a cloud and I touched the cloud, right? And it was actually kind of solid, you know, it was kind of solid, hard to explain. But I almost feel like we were like in an air balloon type thing, you know, coming, descending down. Then I recognized where we were. We were at this beach called Walton's Beach in Calling Lake. And we were descending down because I remember this tree that's there and I got to see this aerial view of it. I'll never forget. Now, what's strange is it was so quiet. Like the earth itself was so quiet, nothing was moving. And then the leaves of the trees were so still, like not a movement. And this lake below us, that lake, it was so still, it was like a mirror, like a, a mirror. And it was like amazing. Like you could actually hear something across the earth almost, like these weird noises that I never recognized, you know? Now, what's weird is as we descended to the, like this, uh, Walton's Beach has this driveway and there's sand, and that's where we were because there's this tree line right and then there's this opening and that's where we were heading towards now i noticed there was people on the beach milling about 
adequately recognizing them yet or too far. But I noticed there was these metal steps that were hovering over the water. Balrog, that's his name. Josh Lambert said it's Balrog. That's the one. Now, there was this on the top, must have been about seven or eight steps. And I seen people getting up there and walking up one by one, you know, when their name was called. And at the top was this angel. It had its podium and there's this huge book like this thick on each side and it was a beautiful looking metal like a golden book and he was turning pages and you know he didn't have wings or anything he just had this nice golden brown hair and he didn't have a beard at all and on his sash was a was a sword of fire you know and behind him was this portal of light like a doorway like a bright white doorway people were going through now as we got closer to the ground i seen uh i recognize these people they were people from calling lake some were still alive at the time and some were were having passed on for years and they were happy they were talking to each other like they, like it was more like a family reunion you know and it felt very peaceful and i remember uh we descended close to those steps we walked up and i remember the messiah was talking to this angel like almost like they knew each other like really well you know and I was standing, left standing there, and I was looking. I remember being fascinated by that, that flaming sword of fire. Like, so much I wanted to touch it, but at the same time, I felt this draw to this portal. And I really wanted to run through. I had this really draw that I, I want to run through this. I'm going to do it. I made a run for it. Before I can even try, this angel reached out his hand on my chest, and I went flying, like, like into the air. And it didn't hurt. It was like a force. And I remember as I flew up, I seen those onlookers, like those guys going like this, looking at me like, what just happened? So it was just so funny. But I woke up in, uh, I woke up out of that dream and I remember being so, I guess I was terrified about it, you know? And I took it to the sweat lodge the next weekend and I told them in detail what happened. And then I remember the medicine men were like in awe and they were talking and they said, you know, Sean, because they consulted, of course, with, you know, spirit beings with this. And, uh, they came back after, you know, because I brought my tobacco offering, you know. You know. I had to bring a little tobacco, so I had to get my mom to get me tobacco. And uh, they said, this, Sean, this means that you have two choices. Either you walk a good path or you walk a bad path. And they're both definite paths that you choose from now, whatever you want to be. And that was that. That's one of the biblical visions I've had. Oh, there's another one too. I, I gotta, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, then let's go into it. And before we move on, I'd, I'd like to hear it. Okay. This is more of an encounter. Like, we moved into this house. Like, I must have been about 14 or so, maybe older. And, uh, no, I was younger than that because I was, yeah, I was in junior high. It was way out in the, in the, place called Hopima in the boonies, another place where it's really uh, dark at night. And a friend of mine, his family let us live there because, you know, their owners were like in prison for some reason, you know, we didn't ask. Of course, my, I think my parents must have known, but we didn't have power for a good month. So it's pitch black in the house with candlelight, right? And, you know, we had to clean up the house because it was like a mess because I guess it was like a party house, a drunk house, you know? And one of the rooms we didn't even ever enter. It had such bad energy. It was the master bedroom. It was on the far end of the house, right near the restroom. And had a beautiful poster bed in it. 
but glass everywhere and bullet holes in it everywhere bullet holes so we weren't allowed in there right so my mom spent a good week cleaning that place you know and at night there was you know there's a fireplace in the living room and then you know further down there were the bedrooms it was a big house really big house um it only had a basement which was terrifying scary and then the main floor we all slept in one room and i had uh two i had a baby brother named cody and then all his brothers you know when i had like at the time there was probably four of us three brothers and the baby brother and we would sleep all in one room at night now at one particular night my mother came in with her little like you know her little kerosene lamp thing and said sean is your brother up i said no like my baby my baby brother and then she left not even a while after that she came back and said sean was your brother up is he crying and i said no no and i went back to bed and she left i was the oldest so they always bothered bothered me she comes again said sean i heard a baby crying is your brother crying he said no he said i'm scared can you come sit with me out there i was like I was like, I remember that moment. I was like, damn, I want to be brave for my mom, but at the same time, why would you tell me that? <laughs> so I uh, got up out of bed, you know, walked with my mom. And then I, on the way, she says, Sean, did you know that their baby died in this house, in the restroom? Or if we say bathroom. And we sat down on the couch in front of the fireplace. And I said, what? Yeah, they were partying here and then forgot that they gave this baby a bath and it died in the bathroom. I said, what? And I was kind of like, you know, I'm hearing about this first, you know, like I was kind of scared, but then I heard it. I'm like almost how they do it in the movies. Like you have that ethereal voice with reverb kind of thing. Like I heard a baby crying and it sounded very lonely. It was a very, not a good cry. And my mother had these big eyes and she looked at me. Did you hear that? I said, yes. Then she says, what should we do? And I'm like, ah, oh, man. And I said to her, how about we pray, you know? And then she looked at me and said, can you pray? And I was like, why me? You know, I'm like 11 or something. Oh, like I was young. I said, fine, I'll pray. So I put my hands together, you know, in an old-fashioned way, and I, I started praying. And that moment, I felt this unbelievable feeling come into the house and through me. It was like this warm, beautiful like if you were to ever feel such bliss or blessing or 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 a feeling of an like an angel in the room, it immediately came. And my mom looked at me with these big eyes, like she felt it, and then I heard the baby again. Almost like they were rushing to come, like they were waiting to come, these angels, or whatever came, you know, whatever came to pick up this soul. Then I heard the baby again. And this time it was cooing happily, like how a baby coos when they're in the crib playing in the, by themselves, you know? And then almost like it was saying thank you. And my mom looked at me again, like, what? You know, like she couldn't believe what's happening. And then that thing left. And then you could just feel it leave. Like it, the house felt blessed. It felt warm. Like it blessed the house. It didn't feel dirty anymore. Like it didn't feel like that house we live, moved into, let's say. It actually felt blessed. That's a that's a fascinating story, and so because I want to ask you on this, uh, and it's okay for you. I mean, you're just we're just to theorize, speculate, like you know, yeah. uh, you know, some people listening might not even like this kind of question, but because I have this, I have this thought a lot. 
are, are you under the impression that this, this crying baby was the actual spirit of that baby or something else? Well, here, okay, yeah, that's a good question. Now, it's not the first time I heard I had an encounter with a ghost that needed help crossing over. Now, I believe, like, I think about this to this day. And say, I wonder why the creator would allow a soul, especially a child, to be trapped. Like, is it the circumstances? Is it our duty to pray for the ones that are lost? Like, I do that all the time now in my prayers, is I always include the ones that are lost, the ones that have passed, that haven't, can't cross over. And I've heard many theories about this when I ask different people, like saying, like, well, the parents were not good, they were not believers, so the children were not blessed or not, you know, accounted for. Or it was, It's just a strange concept. And, I mean, we want to believe good things, but maybe these are one of the technical aspects of living on this planet because I've had many encounters with ghosts, like children who would come play. Oh, I have a good one. Um, well, this, like, I remember I was living, like, okay, we were poor and I, and I had to stay in the basement. We were in Hinton, Alberta. And I was probably 12. You know, I was always the oldest, so I felt old. Now, these, these timelines are the same because we moved a lot around a lot, you know, like, you move somewhere till you get evicted. You move somewhere else till you get evicted. That's the kind of life we had. But um, I slept in a basement. And then for some reason, I wasn't scared. It was pitch black when the light turned off. One window above me, the basement type of window with the, you know, like culvert kind of thing. Now, there was this laundry room that I was utterly terrified. I could, my, my, it was across, right across, like the farthest corner of the basement, underneath the steps. And it felt weird. It's almost like, I don't know. You go in there, you, there's a, you just feel this creepiness in there. Like, just ugly, creepy feeling, you know? And the furnace, you know, you expect there to be bones in there or some kind of evil in there. It's almost like a... I remember I seen this one TV show where this furnace was... Right. That's what it felt like, you know? So I had this kind of ritual where I would... I don't know what a word. But I would walk up to the top of the basement because that's where the light switch was. And I'd turn it off and I would feel the wall and then go to the room, go to my bed, right? And it was, that's how I would do it. I can only sleep in pitch black. And I don't even know how I found the bravery back then. So I remember I had all these little toys, you know, little knickknacks that I kept for a long time because we were poor to begin with. And I kept good care of my stuff and I kept them in this drawer, right? Now, when my brothers would come down or my mother to the laundry room for some reason, I was always tell them, turn off the light, please, when you leave. You know, turn off the light, you know? Or if they played with my stuff, I would say, you know, that's weird to say that when you're 40, 46. You know, like, I play with my toys. But um, I would always tell them to put my stuff away. This one particular, this one, it must have been like three in the morning. Who knows what time it was? But I remember I was on the edge of the bed and I seen these two boys playing with my stuff. My stuff was scattered around this carpet area, you know. Now, I was watching them play. And it didn't even occur to me those weren't my brothers. Because these brown-haired kids, you know, these two boys. You know, and I was watching them play in the cars, and I said to one of them, I said, "Can you put my stuff away when you're done?" And then the little boy was playing the car. He wasn't really looking at me. He said, "Yeah." And I said, well, "Can you turn off the light when you're good when you're you're done?" And he said, "Yeah." All right. So the morning comes. I wake up. The basement light is still on, so I'm mad. My toys are everywhere, so I'm mad. And that freaking that that laundry room door was open, and I was extra mad. 
because I'm terrified of that thing, you know. So I went marching upstairs, and I remember my uh, stepdad was standing there, and I said to him, "Where's uh, Terrace and Michael? Where are they? They're playing with my stuff. They didn't turn off the light, and they left the laundry room open." And my, my dad looks at me, right, and he's he kind of smiling. Isn't it? They had a sleepover party last night. <laughs> Because I went marching up to the room too, and they weren't there. Came down, and he said, they, they, were, they weren't even here last night. What are you talking about? And then this chill went down my spine. And I remember from that day, I hung up these sheets to block my view of that door, a view of the side here, and I, I slept with the light on for the longest time after that. But well, definitely two ghosts. Yeah, and one of the, the reasons I asked the question that I did, it's it's similar to the Sasquatch and the tree story, right? And I, I pointed out that for some people, it goes so beyond their their peripheral vision or their worldview that a a Sasquatch could ever be a shapeshifter, you know, that there, there could be this I, identification with trees, with the spiritual world. It doesn't matter if they saw a Sasquatch become a tree or vice versa, they wouldn't believe it, right? And so I, I grew up with the worldview that, you know, the, the classic Sunday school answer is everything is Jesus, right? Well, the opposite of that is everything is a demon. It's just Jesus and then demons. And and so I've, I've often asked myself this question because some things don't add up right. And I sometimes wonder, what if there are spirits, of little children or whatever, that for whatever reason, they do remain in the world? That they don't get taken out right away to either heaven or Sheol or wherever they go, uh, but that's why I asked that question about the baby and how you know you prayed and then yeah. it's like these angels came, took the baby and you know carried it off. Uh, that was really fascinating, and it's just something yeah. I, I I I don't have answers to myself, but I know what I just suggested would be very uncomfortable for a lot of people because they're like, no, 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 the you know it's it, they go straight to they go straight to heaven or you know, hell or whatever, you know, and there's no in between. Um, and I don't know, we can, we, anyways, the, the night's wearing on and there's quite a few more questions I want to ask you. And, you know, we talked about the, the biblical versus kind of non-biblical nature of some of the things you experienced. And what I would be curious to know more of is what made you suspicious of some of the underlying, and here's the here's the word again, demonic, uh, but dark and pagan origins of your practice of shamanism. And of course, this will lead us towards the Torah eventually. Yeah, so like I said, there is a very strong magical paranormal component to these ceremonies where the orbs come, the spirits will talk and sing, and you sometimes have a medium that they'll speak through, answer your questions. Like there'll be a point in time in some of these ceremonies, like night lodges, especially night lodges where it's pitch black and you have a medium. And here's the thing, here's the kicker. Um, so this, this medicine man, who's going to be the conduit, he will be in fetal position and they will tie him up even between his fingers like this, his, his legs with a long twine, like a, a ball of leather, thick leather, one inch thick, right? They'll tie him and Sometimes they'll wrap him in a blanket and they'll put a rattle sometimes like between his legs because he's like really tight. Now, they'll lay him on his side on a bearskin rug, usually, nice bearskin rug, and he's totally tied. Like even Houdin himself couldn't get out of this, probably. Now, so the light, it's pitch black. Then they start the song, you know, the coming in song. 
you know, I don't know why I was saying it, but um, they sing it. And then in the background, you hear this whipping, like whipping. And then you hear the rattle going. Next thing you know, you hear the medicine man. He's up, he's out, and he's he has the rattle. So you have these magical components like that. This other one, another example, and that, that twine will be a perfect ball. When, when it's ceremony over, you'll see the perfect ball. And that's sometimes one of the true, I guess, one of the tests of a medicine man. Like, I know this medicine man, Leonard, he uh, he got tied like that. But this was in a fasting, like in a, in a vision quest, in, in his little hut that we built. We build these little tiny huts out of, you know, sometimes we have tar, but we'll build these sweat, little mini sweat lodges that we sleep in. And he got tied up like that. In the morning, he was standing outside our, our camp, and he was holding that ball, you know, like, Look what, look what happened you know they blessed me kind of thing you know so this magical thing does happen even without the ceremony involved these magical things are part of our life and, and we accept it and we're like so fascinated like oh i want that to happen to me you have in his mind in, in your mind another weird ceremony is called the shaking tent now picture the the man getting tied up again but they build this structure just enough for a man to sit cross-legged in right or like this in and in this in this case he was cross-legged and he was inside that structure tied up like this it must be about i'll say six feet tall it's got willows a specific number of willows because I, I have to help look for them and cut them down and make sure they were really straight and they're put into the ground like deep into the ground and these it almost like forms a prison and you start weaving you start weaving more willow well, the guy's in there, sitting in there. Then you put a blanket around it, like this one. Then you tie that blanket with rope. So what you have is almost like this dome, like this structure, cylinder, very tall. You couldn't even crawl out of there without making a lot of noise. It's dense. Now, that's and there's these trees. They leave these tall trees. Sometimes it's one willow. They'll be they're hanging out out like this, you know, out of the structure. Now. Uh, across from it is the mound. We call it the mound, and that's where all the pipes are, the skull, and that's where a medicine man has to sit, right? So the medicine man doesn't start in that structure. Let me start over. He does not start in that structure. He starts on the on the on the on the bearskin rug, like I said, tied up. Now, I remember this specifically because I've seen this on a magic show, right? So. We start the song. It's it's kind of dark. We did this outside. You just got star light for light. The moon wasn't out. Then you start to shake. You start the song, and next thing you know, this blue fireball went flying into that structure, and it was so bright when it hit the structure, all you can see is the outline of that medicine man that was just lying here. Now he's in the structure shaking his rattle. Because that's what you've seen when that light hit it. I remember uh, I seen this on a magic show where this Japanese guy did the same thing. And I thought to myself, whoa. I mean, he just did the same thing I witnessed as a boy and multiple times growing up, of course. The same trick that this medicine man did. Now, little things like this that I started watching on TV started cluing me into the maybe not so good nature of this medicine and magic. Like 
this very specific documentary called The Skull Project, which you can probably find on YouTube still. I've seen this years ago. The same magical things, the mediums, the spirits coming in, making things appear and disappear because they could make something appear, you know? They talk through people. But this was like in a seance, mediumship environment. And I got the spooks. I got spooked and creeped out by that. But the way they were doing it, you know? And it was the same exact magic that I grew up with. So it's a whole list of videos that I watched through a lifetime of evil magicians performing the same magical acts and witnessing it growing up. Now, I understand there's good and bad. Well, I'm not kidding. Is, is magic good or bad? You know, unless it comes from a creator, who knows what I witnessed? But I've seen people who are just fake, you know, like David Blaine might have illusion. But no. <laughs> the stuff I grew up with is not David Blaine. It's beyond that. It's beyond that, you know? I mean, for example, I remember, uh, ever hear of a, a crystal gazing? The Navajo do that. It's a type of medicine. Like a type yeah, of ceremony. Take us through that. Yeah, I, I don't know much about it. Okay, this is my first encounter with other people's medicine. They do the amazing sand paintings and they sing for 24, like 48 hours nonstop. And I remember I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, I was invited. And uh, so I knew I had some bad medicine on me, right? And I was I was being driven. This is my uh, my ex, ex-wife, she's Navajo. But I drove with their family to from here to, uh, I guess, Kayenta, somewhere in Kayenta, Arizona. And I sat in the backseat with the medicine man in this truck. And uh, he was talking to me in Navajo the whole time. And I was like nodding my head like, I don't know what he's saying, but I'm being polite. But we made our first stop at a McDonald's in Kanta. Some, and I remember he came out laughing because he went in there with the, the driver. And then he said, I guess in, in Navajo, he said, oh, I thought this guy was Navajo all this time when I was talking to him. I was wondering why he all you do is nod his head. <laughs> and I was like, so I did not speak the language. And this Navajo medicine man only spoke Navajo. So we drive to his uh, Hogan where we do the ceremony. And then he's going to look at me to see if there's any bad medicine on me, right? So they have to have my mother-in-law there who speaks full fluent Navajo. And uh, so he puts me in this chair. You know, it's only lit by the fire. There's a fire going like a stove. It's got dirt floor. I think he had a couple candles going. So I sit in this wooden chair and he made me sit in this really weird position, like my feet out in front of me, palms up on my knees. And he really kind of roughly positioned me. He said, no, like, you know, like, you know, like this. And I know. And then, then he took this crystal. He put his headband on. Then he, he took out this crystal with the hand, palm, the size of a palm. It was flat. And he looked at me, took it over my body. And was like, oh, he was speaking Navajo to my, to my, you know, my ex-mother-in-law. And I just met her. I just, I just literally just really just got to know them by then, you know. And uh, he was speaking Navajo. And she's looking at me like, what? What? And she looked kind of sternly looking at her. Her demeanor changed. But I guess he was telling her my life. He was he was like saying, Oh, he's got oh he's got a oh he's got a child. He used to have a family back home. And she's like, What? <laughs> well basically if you could translate in English, oh I used to have a wife before. He's like, What? Really? I don't know. First I heard of this. Only as children. And then you know, like if you could translate the Navats what she was saying, 
He said, well, there is something on him. There's these people jealous from back home. It's one family, like we always rival families back home. They're jealous of his success and they're trying to give him bad luck. So he needs a bear way ceremony. Like they call it bear way or nejonje, like a nejonje, like a, a beauty way ceremony or, or a bear way. And only a man, medicine man who works with bear can do it, you know, because they know that was my, well, when I was practicing, that was my spirit guide, you know, the bear chose me. And that's all I seen in my, my visions was bears, 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 bears. But that was my first encounter with that type of medicine where he basically like a psychic knew my life and I just met him, which is very strange. Well, now uh, on that note, um, it's funny that it seems like the, the West Coast people are probably just getting home from work now. Uh, but I do want to uh, move more into like the, the Torah territory, uh, Torah territory um, to make good time and, and uh, value people's time who are listening in. Uh, but so my next question is what role does the creator play in all this? Cause we, we kind of covered a little bit about uh, the, the shamans who pray to the most high creator versus all these other spirits that are running amok and, uh, some are kind of deemed passive and others seem more evil and there's different kind of layers to all this. So there's a lot seem to be, there seems to be a lot of pieces here, a lot going on. So what role does the creator play? Is there a name for the most yeah. high? I don't know if this is just general amongst yeah. Native American culture as a whole or the Cree. Um, and um, yeah, take me through that. So, I mean, the creator is first and foremost, like we almost like in the Torah is the creator of heaven and earth. You know, the good, we say great spirit, the good one, the good, you know, God, so to speak. And everything is centered around creator first. When you're doing a ceremony, creator first, you pray creator first with, with your pipe before you even light it. Everything is centered on humility and, and having a humble walk and always keeping right here good even your thoughts and your heart good not to have anything on your conscience so that when you when you're connected like that to the creator like the the real clock with death your prayers are louder when you're that you're, you're you're in that state so what's what that's what people fast for that's what people remain humble for that's what people try to keep a clean conscience for right um when it comes to similarities to the torah i mean it used to fascinate me that okay well we have a flood story you know and now there's a flood story in the Bible, right? When I used to read. Now we have giants, many stories of giants, the giant people. So does the Bible. You know, and we, we have, uh, of course, there's um, the first peoples, right? That we, we also carry that story with us as well. So, so many things are, I'll say, biblical in nature. And, but at the same time, you know, we still have this, uh, what would you say, presence of a magical and paranormal component, you know? Like Enoch, is that not all paranormal or supernatural or unseen realm, so to speak? We say paranormal, and I think that's got these, I'm not saying demonized, but it's got these connotations to it, you know? Like, we can say the unseen realm, but then so did Enoch see all these things, right? Or Hanuk, when you have, of course, 
I remember hearing the shaman try to tell me that, well, there's shamanism in the Bible, you know, the you know, encounters with the creator, the burning bush, and, you know, there's spirituality strong there. They're speaking to the creator that this is what they're seeing these angels, you know, you know, uh, coming and talking to us. And they come in the form of men, but maybe they came to the Native American in a different form, which was required for them back then, you know. And they and they told me the absence of the Messiah is only because we did not require his teachings back then, which I thought interesting, you know. But I mean, like good and bad, when you have real power. I mean, imagine what, what could corrupt you. Like, I mean, these entities, we call you know, everything demonic, right? Well, that would be it right there. Them coming in the flesh, you know? And it's just weird how we have it present in the ceremony and among these peoples, but it's not so much in this, this Western world anymore. You know, people might think a house is spooky or a room is spooky or footsteps up the steps. I've, I've encountered that as well. You know, I've seen animals bark at nothing. But this world is more spiritual than we think. And I mean, even though we, we think that spirits go into the great sleep, which I like to believe, I mean, is it possible there's some things trapped here? Are they not all demonic? You know? I mean, I've encountered many different ghosts that, you know, that kind of spooked me. I mean, I just one time, um, it was time in my, my big depression when I was in my 20s. I was really lonely, you know. And, uh, I mean, I just, you know, lost my first wife. And uh, I was just really lonely and depressed because she had my children with her. You know, I was really torn because I was a spiritual man. And I just thought, this is wrong. I have to be at them. I want to see them. And I remember I was in this room alone, this bedroom. I was dark. I was sitting in the dark, you know, on the edge of the bed. You know, I was crying. And then I heard these footsteps. And I felt this presence come. And I wasn't scared because I was just glad there was something with me. Like, I was so glad that I was had company, even though it was ghost. This thing walked by me because I heard the footsteps on the floor. It's one of those floors that creak when you walk. And it sat beside me. It made an impression, and it actually had a weight. And then this thing, it reached out and it hugged me, and it comforted me. I felt great comfort, but I was just glad there was something there, even though it was a spirit, you know. Like, are we to assume they're demons, or what was this? If it wasn't like something sent to comfort me, you know, are things all in the great sleep, like written? Hard to say because there's many books that we still have to obtain, right? might have some kind of ethereal knowledge hey yeah uh, sorry hopefully i'm not frozen now so um sorry about that my internet got cut out and my bars uh, am i coming through clear right now clear. can everyone my, my my screen is clear okay my my internet bars are like really low right now so anyways let me just jump back at where i was and i the good good thing is you know i could edit some of this stuff out um but when it comes to the book of Enoch, because you said how instrumental that was to you. And that's one of the incredible things about the, the spiritual realm is that it's it's much more complex than just angels and demons. 
according to the Book of Enoch, you've got the the spiritual world that is well. Of course, we live in a spiritual world, and they're running the the, the angels or whatever you want to call them, angel spirits. They're they're running the 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 lightning, the thunder, the snow, the 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 sleets and the rain and the wind. And we even see this in the Book of Revelation. They talk about the angels of the the you know holding back the wind and that kind of stuff. So, and you had commented about your 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 uh, four days fast in the woods where it was snowing on you and everything that could go bad dead. And then the guy 10 miles down in the woods, uh, it was like, it was sunny here, you know, what's going on. And this idea that it was very spiritually driven. And, and so I, I personally think that the spiritual world is, is much more complicated and something that's not taught in the church is it's so you know a lot of the, the the church they don't like Enoch because of the spiritual components it goes against their worldview. Well, the thing is is that even in sixty six canon you have the idea that that Elohim the Most High he actually disavowed humanity of Babel and he handed uh, well I guess that could be argued whether he disavowed them but he he got his allotment which was in Canaan um, or Yahuwah did and you have these seventy. Elohim that are ruling over all of humanity. That's crazy to think about. Like, we don't think about this. And this is why I said earlier tonight that uh, very likely, I, I sometimes wonder, is, is, um, is the spiritual realm adapting to humanity or is it vice versa, that humanity and these different nations are actually adapting to the Elohim that were ruling over them? And we'll get back to this. I'll ask you some more questions. Um, but my my point was, and I'll be talking about this in a couple nights in Sabbath. This is why it's kind of fresh on my mind, is that when when Yahusha Hamashiach sent out the seventy or seventy two by some uh, versions, uh, the the emissaries into the all the earth, and he said that you know you give the God you give the message of the gospel, and you tell them you you make sure to let them know that those who reject this, it's going to be worse for them than, uh, on that day than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. I actually think that this message was like these people he was telling the elohim ruling the earth this is for you like you're going to be judged like you know this was coming you knew this day was coming here i am you're going to be judged if you do not follow you know the torah if you do not follow my ways if you do not you know accept my kingship that kind of stuff so i often wonder how many of these elohim were um were judged but i i want to make clear here that it seems to me like when you read Jubilees and Enoch and stuff, it's there it's very neutral. Like these Elohim and these spirits, they can choose evil, but they can choose good. It's not like they're all just these evil spirits all the time. They can be obedient to the most high, but they can be disobedient as well. So I, I like people to consider that when they're, you know, thinking about these different cultures yes. and you look at these, these, these spirits wood creatures like the sasquatches you know are they are they the caretakers of the forest that kind of stuff because we know that there are caretakers just something to you know think about well we do believe the elements are alive too like amazing i made some kind of like in uh like the four pillars of the world right that hold the whole of the earth you know we believe that there's four doorways part of the ceremony is like you open these doorways like there's a wind you know we believe in the elements are alive like the I guess that would be the Ruach. Like, we even believe in that as well, right? But uh, interesting you say that because even the Northern Lights that came alive there, like the Aurora Borealis, you know, we used to believe those were ancestors dancing. And 
I remember one time we used to we used to get told, "Don't whistle at them, don't do anything; they'll come down and take you." Right? And uh, we used to believe that. But I remember this medicine man asked me, "You want to see me bring them down?" And I said, "Sure." And I was like, a "Young young man." He stood beside me, and we were facing a lake, and there was this tree line in front of us. And he started doing his drumming. Now, these warm lights did appear to come down, but not only to come down, they started illuminating the trees and coming through the trees and I was getting terrified and I remember he I was going to take off and he put his hand on my shoulder no you asked for this and he kept doing his song and then he then he stopped and then the northern lights kind of went faded back into the sky you know that was I mean very interesting experience that I'll never forget now I'm hearing that I'm having some I apologize everyone if my internet's going bad. Hopefully the, the question is is it going good for the person recording for Josh? Um and I'll try to make through the the rest of this. Uh so what's the uh now you can I'll give I'll leave it up to you with the time we have left. We have about 15 minutes and I'd like to um kind of you know bring this to a conclusion. Um, we could talk about the, the the good and the bad medicine men and what's the difference and really reel this in to uh, what turned you to the Torah and giving up most of your known identity, culture, and okay. ultimately giving up your spirituality. And I, I bring that up because it seems to me, and you could talk about this, that that a lot of your, your Cree tribe has rejected the Bible, and I would assume they've maybe rejected you in the process. Well, they will. <laughs> they will. Um, let me let me preface this first. Like I've had many biblical encounters that were not just visions, but I actually had this waking one. Like I told you this one about the cat. Now this is one where I don't want to get judged because I was just a young boy. But there used to be these strays, stray cats, stray dogs in the reservation, and we were very isolated. So they would you know proliferate and they form these packs and attack children. These dogs. So. Once in a while, the dog catcher would come and then shoot the dogs or capture them. There was no catch and release. There was no really adoption or anything. But the cats, some people would put in the bags and drown in the lake. And this might seem cruel, but I mean, I mean, you can judge a whole tribe or a whole community, or, or you know, it must be a lot of people that do this. And these animals would attack your garbage that would be on the bins, and they would spread it all over. Then you had to clean it, and people did not like that, and especially me. Now, one time, I actually captured a stray cat, and I was told to drown it in the lake. You know, we didn't want to shoot it or do anything. So, I hate this story, but um, I took the cat. It's a and, it's a uh, good it's a good story. Just so everyone knows, he Sean shared this with me earlier, and he was a little bit self conscious about giving this, but it's a good story. You you got to give the story. So no one's gonna. I he was you you were a child you were a child when this happened correct yeah i was a young boy okay i didn't do this, I didn't do this yesterday but this is one of the reasons what brought me to god so well the torah so i took this cat in his bag and was it didn't know it was like you know kind of moving in there and i went wading out into the lake you know and i was told to to, to drown it uh so i'm about waist deep and then i immerse the cat and I was scrambling. And all of a sudden, around me, like like almost like my dream, the lake turned still as a mirror. It just stopped. Almost like time stopped. The leaves that you can rustling, like there was a whole tree line of leaves. And I must have been about 25, 50 feet out in the lake. And it's they stopped moving. 
And the same phenomenon happened as in my vision. You could just hear things across the earth, you know, making a sound. That's how quiet the earth was. Now, there's a little bit of cloud and sun behind it. So all of a sudden I heard my son, you know, why are you doing that to that creature? And I, and I looked around and, and it was the sun talking to me. And all of a sudden I became the cat. All of a sudden I was the cat in the bag and I could hear the cat, like the thoughts, like it was saying, why are you doing this to me? What did I do? What did I do wrong? And that's exactly what it was asking. Now, all of a sudden I was panicking because I was drowning, like I was drowning. And then I seen myself, like through the water, I seen myself looking at the bag. Now. The voice, who I think might have been the creator, or maybe it was even Yahusha, said, my son, you know, you're going to take care of this animal, and it's going to take care of you for the rest of your life, you know, until its days, he said. Now, the cat, I let go because I felt this really deep compassion for it, you know. I felt really guilty and shame, but I also felt this love for this cat. Now, you expect the cat to come out and be scrambling and scratching you as it comes up to the top of the highest ground, right? You're, this thing, this, it was a female, I named her Mitzi, crawled out calmly and into my arms. And then that's when, you know, Crater was saying, like, she's going to take care of you, you're going to take care of her. And then I ended up waiting out into the shoreline with it, and then the waves returned, and the leaves started rustling with the wind. And I remember I had that cat for a very long time. In fact, that's the cat that protected me when I, I told the story when you were frozen, you know, how the cat protected me from this ghost that was trying to come in my room, you know, this thing, whatever it was. But you're saying how there's bad medicine men? Well, power corrupts. When you have the power to hurt somebody or the power to put love medicine on someone, I think it corrupts certain breed of people like these politician type people who want power, who want money, who want this to serve their ego and pride. And I believe that's when the demonic comes in, the truly demonic comes in. You know, they, they know the man. I mean, these things are ancient creatures. I mean, they've been alive since the beginning of time, some of them, you know, like these corrupt creatures. These... So they know us very well. But they also know they cannot corrupt a good heart. Now, let me tell you, in my days of witnessing the, the creator talking to me, I've never thought this is the Native American creator. In my heart, I always thought this is the biblical God, which is kind of strange. Why am I seeing biblical you know, symbols and, 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 and things relating to the Bible only throughout my visions you know, as a boy? And that's what I carried in my heart through the rest of the days. Now, recently, you know, I, I never stopped studying YouTube videos like the old Zen Garcia about 10 years ago, Rob Skiba, for like years upon years, I studied them. I discovered you through Zen. And um, even uh, what's weird is I even remember uh, the Flat Earth days, Mark Sargent and them. I mean, you're talking to the, you, you wrote that book with Patricia Steer. Those type of topics really fascinated me because there's no planet in Native American cosmology. There's only above and below. There's only realms, different worlds. There's there's only the stars and the firmament, and there's only the Earth. The, the there's worlds below us, the lower worlds, which is also, remember Lucifer was walking below, above and below, right? And that's what we believe, those different worlds. 
But what really drove me too was during my sleep paralysis days, where I used to get a lot of sleep paralysis and nightmares and things that would come and flick my feet or blow cold air on my cheek and I couldn't move. But when I call out to, like back then I called, you know, Yahusha Jesus. And I would call, they were gone. They were gone, gone. And one of my healing ceremonies as a medicine man, doctoring some people, I started sneaking in Christian and, and sort of Catholic, I guess, exorcism type prayers, you know? And only when I did that, did I feel something. Did I feel some kind of, I want to say Kodeshness, but because there was ceremony involved, but it would scare these things. You know, you'd actually feel like, say something gets tipped over. You feel, you hear something scrambling and it's gone, you know? One day there was something moving about and I, and I said, you know, be gone, you know, you know, name it, you know, of course I would say Christ. The thing scrambled and it sounded like a little weasel, like that was trapped. I was trying to scramble out and, and I freaked out. And my, even my ex was there and, and, and she heard that too. And it was like a weird thing. But only when I ever mentioned the Messiah's name, you know, did anything ever happen that was good. That things like even medicine, these beings would scramble. They would leave. And that's when I started getting clued in that well, you know, I kept on having certain bouts of bad luck and I would get hit with medicine, but only when I started praying to the Creator and to the Messiah did I ever feel anything really change in my life. And then I felt a certain truth in it. Then I started listening more. You know, of course, I was only fascinated in, you know, Rob Skiba and them talking about the giants. And I would, But then, you know, you kind of deafen your ears on the, the whole, you know, like, okay, the Creator you know, made all this world, but you, so you're fascinated with the ancient world and civilizations, but you forget, you know, the roots, the roots of it all, the creation. And that's when I really started studying, you know, the Torah, there's laws, there's rules. And I never read these rules anywhere else. There's no laws. I mean, there's the 10 commandments, but there's also these rules on living. Like I love the book of Nazarene. I mean, I've never heard this growing up. I never know medicine man talk like this to me. And I really loved and embraced the law because it made me feel like a true person. Like I have a, I have a way now. I have a path now, a true path, not this, this life of shamanism, which branches off into other shamanism, which branches off into the new age, which branches off the metaphysical. Next thing you know, you're in a crystal shop. You know what I mean? I felt a sense of identity loss when I gave it all up. When I when I when I didn't want to pray at the pipe anymore, I, I trashed my stuff because I knew in the in the Bible it says you tr you throw these away like uh how um what is that uh one guy used to make idols, you know, and his son used to do tricks and put an axe in the hand and said that one broke or the other. Was that Abraham? Yeah, it was Abraham, especially especially in the book of Jasher, it talks about that. So I believe that uh, you know. There's, I just felt like there's more of a law, more of a structure in, in, in this way. So I, I destroyed my pipes. I destroyed these things. And then I know this medicine man wanted his pipe back that he got that was over hundreds of years old. So I shipped that back to him. But I never sold anything, and I got rid of all my stuff. But then I sensed I had this big cultural, like this sense of identity loss that I had to look for again and find it in the Torah, you know, in, in Yahushua's walk and in the life of, you know, Abraham, you know, of course, Hanak, 
I had to find who I am again all over because spiritualism and shamanism is such a huge part of the Native American culture and tribes. We interact with the spirits, we interact with the creator. There's so many people who, with their heart, pray to the creator, you know? But what, what line do you cross? What, what, what do you separate the magic or the supernatural from the Torah, you know? There's magic in the Torah. There's, I mean, creation in the Torah. There's Elohim in the Torah. There's the angels. There's the, you know, the demons, you know? they still here. They're still here. Now, have they just corrupted a righteous way? Have they just corrupted medicine men? You know, back home, we don't say shaman, we say medicine men, but for the sake of people understanding what we say, some people say holy man, you know, because you do have to be holy in a sense. But you get a lot of interactions with the, med you know, the spirits. Now, are they demonic? Or are they Kodesh? It's hard to really say, you know. But I just know I embrace the Torah now. I embrace the law. And I've never felt such guidance. I um that's a that's a great conclusion to have. And before we went live and I was talking to you about this, Sean, again we were talking about the book Enoch. And my my group is probably sick and tired of me saying this. But I, I'm repetitive a lot because, you know, I realize that, you know, people will come and watch one video. They haven't seen, you know, my other, you know, 300 videos or, you know, episode 176 and 32 and all that kind of, you know, 97 and all that. Um, and so the thing is with the watchers, and I, I was saying this beforehand, that it's taken me many, many years to appreciate what is being put forward in the Book of Enoch. Because Yahuwah, he... He talks, you know, the watchers, they come down, they do these horrible things. And one of the things Yahuwah says to them, he says, you gave humanity the mysteries of heaven, right? And so this, I had a lot of cognitive dissonance with this for years because he's actually saying, you actually gave the real mysteries of heaven. These aren't fake mysteries. These are real mysteries. And of course, the Watchers, they set up all the different mystery uh, religions and mystery schools. A lot of things we see in the, the, the Native American religions and like I said, the Druidic, all this kind of stuff. You see it all across the earth in every culture. They have these mysteries and they're all trying to take these mysteries and kind of package them and you know make kind of make them their own teachings, all this kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that they were real mysteries. They were real. They were, they were all talking about real things. Where he criticized them, he said these were worthless mysteries. And the reason why they were worthless was because the Watchers did not instruct humanity in Yahuwah's Torah, his instructions in righteous living. This is the same problem the 70 Elohim had when you read it in Psalm 82. He's like, you're not instructing them in, in my righteous ways, and because of that, you will die like men. It's the same thing that happens later in the book of Enoch when Israel's divorced and sent all over the world. And he goes to the 70 shepherds and he says, I'm taking down names. I am sending you these people into these nations. And this would, this would go with the Native Americans too if they are the lost tribes of Israel. They are going into North America to these other Elohim. And who is like, I'm going to take down names of how you treat these people. If you devour them, if you hurt one hair on their head and you're not supposed to, 
you're going to be held accountable for this. And it says that as soon as they were handed over, these other Elohim started devouring them. Uh, the, well, these other shepherds, these are you know, the 70 shepherds. Um, and so, again, it all comes down to are we keeping his instructions righteous living? People in the comment have been saying how that's that's the defining difference in life, that for the first time, people felt grounded. They knew the way. They had the path. This is what we this is what we follow, you know. And um, anyways, it all makes sense. This has all been great. I've really appreciated all this. I do have a couple things I'm going to uh, throw out here at you. I, I kind of uh, threw a curveball at you right before we went live. Hopefully, I'm not choppy for anybody right now. Um, it's good to have someone to with. Before I came to Torah and I discovered it with, you know, my fiance and I came together. She used to be the same kind of psychic metaphysical person, but we both left that life for the Torah together. Nice. Um, some of you may have heard at the very beginning, it might have gone in one ear, not the other, that uh sean referred to himself as an actor he actually you said that you uh you watched native americans on tv for the first time and wanted to be an actor and i actually hear this a lot from uh minority groups and what i mean by you know what i mean by that is you know uh people groups who are not well re represented in in film in Hollywood, I, I think it was George Techie from uh, Tech, if I pronounce his name right, from Star Trek, and he wanted to be like a an Asian representative, you know, in in Hollywood and stuff, and he got to be on Star Trek. Um, so, so Sean here, Walking Bear, is an actor. He's been in quite a few films. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm going to drop this picture in here. I have a few pictures. Uh, hopefully, Josh, you can see this on the TUC stage. And um, tell me what is going on in this picture right here, because this has my curiosity. That's, that's a movie called First Encounter that's not out yet. Um, his name is Yuma. I even had a voice for him like Yuma. You know, he's like, he's a really gruffy guy, you know. But he's like this, um, it's weird because what's weird is we call ourselves watchers in that movie. Isn't that weird? He's a watcher. He's chosen from these other watchers who've been watching planet earth and watching us corrupt ourselves, but they pick these different tribal leaders to be groomed, to be like the next watcher to, I guess, instruct mankind, you know, kind of like, almost like you'd say like they, they kind of interrupt kind of these nuclear wars and they, they fight the enemy. But that movie, has it's got a lot of CGI in it, and I, I suspect they're having like budget problems. But that's Yuma, same as Yuma. Okay, so it hasn't come out yet. Okay, well, I have another one here. So, what's going on in this picture? That is okay. My cousin, who is also a medicine man, was also an archaeologist. They did an archaeological dig at that little people site, they found one of those little arrow hairs. But I only mentioned that because he used to give me books. One of them is Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, and I believe that is a steal from Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Where I play high, um, Lieutenant well, Bullhead, I believe, before he leaves to uh, join the Indian police. It seems like when I was oh. looking you up, it seems like when I was looking you up online, uh, it was it buried my heart and wounded me. That that title came up a lot um, for your name. Okay, I've got another one here. I think everyone will appreciate this. Uh, is that Aquaman right there? And why is he it's putting you? Why is he putting you into a chokehold? Oh, he's such a rough guy. So he he was at we were that's in a, in a Netflix show called Frontier, and I played uh what's my character? 
I got to name my character Omachio, which means hunter in Cree. And uh, he came into the dressing room and he was saying hi to us all. But he was fun to act with. I got to hit him on the head with a club. And I remember him saying, uh, well, I mean, he he said, Sean, you screwed us up. I'll beat your butt. But he didn't say butt. He just like, <laughs> so he's a, a funny guy. It was great. But that's from Frontier on Netflix. He was working on Aquaman, so we had to cancel the season, the series, which is sad. But it's a long way. It was like from in St. John's, Newfoundland. That it, was there anything you wanted to say, just you know, more casually? That you're in a Netflix series right now, right? It's season two. What was it called? Joe Pickett, season two. Joe Pickett, season two. At yeah, and there's another one I'm in. It's on a. INSP, it's like a country channel. It was, it's a series called Into the Wild Frontier, and I, I, it's, a, it's a tale about Daniel Boone, and I play Chief Blackfish, but I guess you can catch reruns of that right now because it just came out season three. Um, like I said, yeah, I see natives on television, and I that's when I decided, like, oh, I want to do this. You know, I, I, like, we were so poor, and I thought this is the only way that I could ever become something, I guess. I, I guess the artist in me still existed back then. You know, and I've been pursuing this ever since. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. I've really enjoyed listening to this. And I, I know the, those who are listening in here have been fascinated. We don't get as big of a turnout on Thursdays just because a lot of people, you know, are on the West Coast and they're working and they're uh, probably just getting their dinner and getting home now. So they'll be coming in later. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to throw in uh before we sign well, up for the so night well there's so much more i mean there are higher hierarchies of of beings there are bosses there are lower levels i mean i forgot to mention that as well but there's so much more that the spiritual world contains and i chose a tour because it's good and i believe it was already right here and that's but that was guiding me i guess i grew up immersed in pentecostal i grew up immersed in Catholic, Catholicism, and Christianity. And I guess it was all forming a foundation for me finally discovering the Torah and having a, a foundation for it. Yeah, uh, that's good stuff. And I know people are loving it right now. So, and I know that whenever you give, I, I know what it's like when uh, you know, whenever you give an interview or a presentation or anything like that, as you know, I was just in Atlanta two weeks ago giving one, and for like the following week, I just was kicking myself at all the things. Oh, I could have said this, I could have said that, you know, and they come to you later. But uh, it was probably a whirlwind of uh, activity of you know things you're trying to recollect in your mind, and things will come to you later. Uh, but it, this was all good, and it it really gave a lot of us a window to this. This world that existed. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to be thinking about it for days because, like, I, I have this thing. Like, I'm kind of like a Sasquatch nerd. I, you know, I'm very envious of people who've seen them. Just like you're just hanging out in the woods, not eating for a few days, and they just walk right past you like it's nothing, you know, type of thing. Uh, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw in one of my stories on this before we close out uh, because, of course, this is because I can. Um, we're not too restricted by time. Uh, you had talked about how that they walked right past you, and there were the I think like two other guys sleeping there, and you're trying to wake them up, and they and they wouldn't wake up, and you felt like that was part of it. I wanted to 
convey that I, I think that that is uh, spot on. Um, and I, my, my wife is listening to the other room right now. She's not going to like telling me telling the story, but it was, I think a couple of years ago now, it was during the whole, um, crisis that happened. I don't even want to say words that would get me triggered on YouTube, uh, or flagged, but, uh, you guys all know it was going down and we're late. We, we sleep out on the back porch a lot. Like we have an elevated roof with a, with a, you know, railing. So we all will have camp outs out there and I'm out there and my wife is on her phone and my, my two sons are like playing video games or something. I'm the only one looking out at the sky and I see, uh, like a UFO, like a, it's like big orb or something. And it's clearly not a helicopter. It's not a plane. And I'm, I'm watching this for several minutes. And I, I, I say to my family, I'm like, guys, there's, it's right here in front of you. There's a, I'm, there's a UFO. Like, I'm being serious. I'm not making this up. They're like, that's nice. You know, they're just like, and, and this goes on for like seven minutes and they don't look up once. And then I, I keep saying, guys, look up right. When was the last time in your life you ever saw a UFO? You have never seen one. Just do me a favor and look up. They never looked up. The thing finally goes overhead, just right past our house. And then they're like, and as soon as it left, they're like, what, what, what? There was a UFO. I'm like, guys. And, and so, yeah, yeah. And I'm telling you that there's, there's like, they weren't meant to see it for whatever reason. We were all there. They weren't meant to see it. And so I just wanted to kind of confirm your story there that that, that does happen. And um, anyways, as, so there's, uh, as Meredith says in here, uh, we should do a part two. So, so yeah. yeah, well, we'll bring you back on. Everyone loves it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, shalom everybody for the last, uh, for uh, the last time tonight. And we are, we're going to go over as always to the after party room, but uh, that's it. And um, Josh, you can cut the recording and uh, we'll head over there. So thank you. Thank you, Sean.